Science and Answers. Do you ever go through trials and wonder how some people can remain so joyful during these difficult times? What can I do to remain joyful? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will be sharing a message from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in which he will discuss the biblical foundations to having lasting joy. If you're unable to hear any of this broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran, with part one. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as I was thinking about a message to present. I was with a supporter of mine, and as we began our conversation and talking, he began sharing all the things he's learning from God's Word and the things that God's been sharing with him, and I said, you know what? He said, I'm going to take everything you said, and it's going to be my sermon. So we can thank Dr. Dave for that time that we had together. As we begin then, let's open our time in prayer together. Father, we pray that the words we hear today would be your words coming through the power of your Spirit bringing forth your truth in a powerful way that will transform our lives this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, as we charge in to every new year, we set new goals for ourselves. And as believers in Christ, I hope one of the goals that we set is to improve in our character, in understanding of God's truth, that it would reshape our minds and our hearts. And one of the most important virtues to develop and improve upon is attitude. I was at a leadership meeting not long ago, listening to some of the great leaders of the evangelical Christian community. And one of them was our former president, Dr. Charles Swindoll. And he said this about attitude. He was asked, when you look at a Christian leader, what is one of the key things that you look for? What is one of the most important things you look for? And he said, of course, taken for granted, we look for a heart for God and a heart for people. But then he said, the next most important thing I look for is this, attitude. And he said this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, the education, the money, than circumstances, than failure than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. That last sentence really hit everyone at the conference there. He said, life is 10% of what happens to me, 90% of how I react to it. A Stanford University study did research, and they discovered that they documented a study of hundreds of people who were able to rise above their circumstance, those who had come from poverty-stricken or abusive homes, 
how they were able to overcome, and they did analysis, and they discovered that key factors that led to their ability to rise above, they said 88% was due to attitude, 12% to education. Hey, that's not to say education is not important, but that's how powerful attitude is. That's how important it is. And like sports, we can learn good attitudes, and when we discover bad attitudes, we can break that kind of thinking and habit. Now, after Chuck Swindoll said that, the next question, of course, we're all asking is, well, then how do we develop a good and positive kind of attitude, the attitude that God wants us to have? How do we develop those things? Well, to do so takes a lot more than just positive thinking. We need to build and base our perspective and our thinking on the truth that comes from God's Word. That it, as Romans 12 says, it would transform our thinking, transform our mind, and then transform our entire being. We need to develop virtues that build the foundation, that build for the right perspective of life and the right attitude. And I want to point out three valuable virtues today and how to develop them. And if you apply what we learned today, God's Word guarantees, okay, they will transform your attitude, and in turn, they're going to transform your life. This passage I read a long time ago when I was struggling, realizing that the dreams that I had set for myself were not going to come to pass. And the journey that God seemed to be taking me down was not a journey that I wanted at all. And nearly going into depression, when I heard these verses and heard them explained to me, all right, it literally transformed my life. And I hope it has the power to do so today as we study the words of Paul. He says three things here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Three exhortations are given here. Three virtues to develop are given here. These are three commands, all right? They're all in the present active imperative, all right? In other words, these are commands. And the first one is be joyful. And you notice it's to be a continual thing, not just at certain times, be joyful always. Hey, being in the present active imperative means Paul is saying, no matter what the circumstances may be, be joyful. Now, the church in Thessalonica, if you read the book of Acts, it was planted by Paul on a second missionary journey. Paul suffered tremendous persecution there in the city of Thessalonica, and the church that he wrote to was suffering tremendous persecution at that time. Yet, it was to this small congregation facing tremendous persecution, yet in the midst of all this, Paul says to rejoice. Joy is a characteristic of a healthy Christian life. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit produced in the life of every believer in Christ. And remember, as we studied the book of Philippians, joy is not based upon our circumstances. As we studied, Paul was in jail, and yet Philippians is called the book of joy. And that theme of joy resounds throughout his epistles. The Thessalonians were a severely persecuted bunch, as stated in chapter 1 of this book. Paul says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. See, Christians, through the power of Christ, can rise above 
the circumstances around them. Unfortunately, not many of us do. But through the power of Christ and through the truth of his word ringing through our hearts, we can indeed rise above our circumstances. That's why joy is not simply an emotion. Joy is not based on our circumstances and things going our way or getting what we want. Joy is a conviction of knowing that no matter how bad things may be, God is always with us. He remains with us. And he is working through our lives and the situation, no matter how difficult it may be, to bring about his purpose, which is always for his glory and always for our good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Everlasting joy. If you're going to build it on your circumstances, I'm going to be joyful when I get what I want, when things go my way. Well, good luck, okay? You'll be depressed 99% of the time. Everlasting joy for the believer in Christ is built upon four principles that we learn throughout God's word. First, God's person, all right, that he loves us. He is all wise and he is all knowing and he's always seeking our good. Nothing comes into our life that has not been filtered through the loving, sovereign hand of God. Our joy is built on knowing the character and the person of God. Second, it's built on knowing God's presence, that he is always with us and knows and cares deeply about all that is going on in our lives. Issues we're having in our marriage, issues we're having with our children, issues we're having at work with friends. You think no one else may know? Well, God knows. He's always there with us. He's promised never to leave or forsake us. Third, joy is built on God's providence, that God's hand is always working in our situation, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand, even when he's answering our prayers in ways we don't want. God's hand is always at work, always accomplishing things for his glory and our good. And it's built on God's promises. Joy comes from knowing that our pain and suffering one day ends in eternal glory forever with Christ. What's the worst that can happen for a believer in Christ? They spend everlasting, eternal joy with God in heaven. In other words, through Christ, we always win. Our suffering, as Peter says, it's a temporary thing. So joy comes from knowing that our ultimate hope that we have in Christ can never be destroyed, never taken away, or ever come to an end. You build it on that, you can have everlasting joy. No matter what the circumstances may be, you can rise above your circumstances, as Paul taught us here. You know, we had a good friend uh, come to town, the Rogers family, and I'm looking because I'm um, seeing if they're here or not. See, they didn't come because they knew I was going to talk about them, and I was going to bring them up here on stage. You know, there are a few families I know who have been through more than my good friends Randy and Jill Rogers. As a young couple, their lives were filled with joy as two boys came into their lives, Ian and Micah. Wonderful, wonderful boys. However, their dreams were crushed when both boys were discovered to have a rare form of muscular dystrophy that really there is no cure for and that their life on this earth would really be difficult and it really would be short. There's been over 10 years of joy watching the boys grow, but under very special care. And there always lingers in the back of their minds 
that they may only have a short while to enjoy their boys while they're here on this earth. Well, this past summer, we were all at Mount Hermon together at family camp. And at the, near the middle of the camp, Ian, their older son, 14 years old, was suffering from shortness of breath. And so knowing that this is something more than asthma, they brought him to the hospital where it was discovered that his heart was quickly failing and he would need a heart transplant immediately or he was going to die. Well, days went by and Ian's condition worsened to the point where he could no longer walk or breathe on his own. There in the hospital of San Francisco, they were there for weeks watching Ian's condition deteriorate, praying, wondering if indeed there would be a heart donor that would be a match for Ian. Ian nearly died, but in the final moments, a donor was found and Ian was given a new heart. But through those very dark days, I asked Randy and Jill, how were they able to experience joy in such a dark moment in their life? And Randy and Jill said, well, we're not out of the tunnel yet. Someday, Micah's going to need a heart transplant. And, you know, the transplant doesn't cure it. There will be more coming down the line, and we know. And one of the most powerful moments in our interview came when Jill said this. She said, this was not the journey that I wanted for me and my family. This is not the way it was supposed to go. But through it all, God's word came more alive than ever. And God's presence became more real than I have ever known. And knowing one day that this will all be over and we'll be together in glory forever brought me joy, even in the midst of a pain I could not bear. And she said, you know, people have said, oh, Randy, Jill, you have such big shoulders that you can bear such great suffering. And Jill said, absolutely not. She said, this is a pain I cannot bear. Hey, but for the grace of God, but for knowing that I may not have my boys much longer, knowing that one day this comes to an end and we spend forever, eternally in glory, never having to say goodbye again, is what brings me joy, even in this most difficult time. And there are a couple that have been able to rise above their circumstances. And even in this most difficult time, what brought them through and gave them joy was understanding God's person, God's presence, God's promises, and God's providence. So our life application is this. We got to develop a whole new basis for joy. If joy is going to be the hallmark of every believer in Christ, we cannot build joy on getting what we want or things going our way. Developing a new basis of joy is this. Joy is built on understanding God's presence, God's person, God's providence, and God's promises. You build it on that. Okay? You may not be happy all the time, but joy is different. You build it on those four, you'll have a joy that can never be taken away. That's how it's possible, as Paul says, to be joyful always. That is possible, but you've got to build it on those four. So the first exhortation Paul gives us is to be joyful always. The second builds on that, and that is to be prayerful. Paul says, pray without ceasing. 
once again in the present active imperative. In other words, this is a command. All right? Pray without ceasing. Always pray. All right? Now, Paul is not saying spend all day in a monastery and pray. All right? The adverb there, pray continually or without ceasing, okay, was used of a hacking cough. In other words, as a hacking cough continues with you throughout the day, so we are to pray consistently throughout the day. All right? And whenever the need arises, we give a hacking cough. All right? In other words, whenever the need arises in you, you pray. You're stressed out, you pray. You're worried about something going on in your kid's school, pray. Worried about the job situation, pray. You just received great news, praise God. Whenever the moment arises, and whenever you feel that need, pray throughout the day. Consistent prayer keeps us dependent upon God. Consistent prayer keeps us engaged with God throughout the day, and we become more aware of God's will and His working in our lives. Because prayer keeps us in tune with God, and we become aware of His involvement and how He's moving in our lives and when He is answering prayer. So many times I'm in my life, and I'm going, man, God's not doing anything in my life. And people always stop me and say, you prayed about it? And it's kind of like, duh, no. All right, let's get to it. Since we're in a relationship, God wants us to pray. And often, he waits for us to pray before he moves. That's why in Luke 18, Jesus exhorted his disciples to pray constantly and never give up. Prayer is when we bring God into our life placing the burdens that belong to him on him okay, and taking them off our shoulders. And as you're praying throughout the day, you're more in tune with the hand of God moving in your life, and you're going to start seeing prayers get answered. And that's when God becomes so real in your life. You can connect my stress life and mood to my prayer life directly. All right, because when I'm not praying, I'm carrying burdens. I don't need to be carrying. They belong to God. When we were in Nepal, they have what's called, how many have been to Nepal? Hey, one, two, all right. They have what's called the Sherpa, right? And the Sherpa, they carry your luggage for you, all right? They are absolutely incredible. I mean, I've seen them carry suitcases on their shoulder, Ooh, way right up the mountain, okay? And they go so fast. You know, they're up there for a couple days waiting for us before we finally get up there. All right. But anyway, I had my pack on and the Sherpa there, skinny little guy, half my size in slippers. All right. Almost bare feet sitting there and we're walking up the trail together. And he says, sir, let me take your bag. And of course, being the prideful guy I am, I looked and said, no, I can do it. You know, I am a man. I can do it. I've been working out, man. I'm going to do it. And so here I am struggling to take it up the mountain, and he's got a small little pack on, and he says, sir, he keeps saying, sir, let me take your pack. I'm like, no, man, I can do it. I can do it. And I'm going up there, I'm sweating, I'm absolutely miserable going up this mountain, and this Sherpa is just smiling, and he's walking next to me, saying, constantly going, sir, give me your bag. I'm like, no, no, man, I can do it. I can do it. You know, I'm not going to be outdone by you, skinny little man, you know? <laughs> We're going. Finally, about uh, not even halfway up, I was just simply exhausted. And he said, sir, I said, here, take it, go, go, go. <laughs> and uh, whoop, 
goes right up the mountain, gone. About half an hour, I can't even see him. He's gone. And so I'm moving up the mountain. But this time, I don't have a pack on me. And I'm cruising up the mountain. Guess what? Suddenly, I notice how beautiful everything is. I mean, I'm going up the Himalayas, all right? I mean, this is where Mount Everest is. This is the hiker's paradise. For three days, I didn't notice just how beautiful the surroundings were around me. Why? Because in my pride, I'm carrying my backpack. I am suffering. I'm carrying a burden I didn't have to carry. If I just given it to the guy, I'd be having a great time. But instead, I, in pride, I chose to carry that pack, carry that burden, and I, I was just absolutely miserable the whole time. Well, finally, when I gave it over to him, and whoop, he disappeared. Now, without that pack on me, I am just having a great time. As I'm going up, suddenly I'm noticing the greenery around me, the villages around me, the mountains, the air, all of that. Suddenly, I'm noticing that. And that's how it is in our life as believers in Christ, isn't it? We are carrying a burden that we're not meant to carry. And God, the Holy Spirit, is next to us saying, hey, why don't you give that to me? And we're saying, no, 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 I can do it. I can figure this thing out, all right? I can figure out how to do this with my kids. I can figure out how to work out of this situation at work. I can figure it out. We're carrying the burden we weren't meant to carry. And the Holy Spirit is next to us going, give it to me, give it to me. All right, finally, when we humble ourselves and we get on our knees and we pray and we said, all right, Lord, here you go. Jesus in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Place your burden upon me. He says, I want to give you rest. And when we pray, that's what we do. And when that pack is off, you're looking around at life going, wow, this is kind of fun. Look at all the blessings God has brought into my life. Look at all the ways he's answering prayer. Look at all the ways he's moving. When we take that burden that didn't belong to us and place it on someone that's a lot better prepared to handle the situation and take care of things than we are. Often we think God is not working in our lives, but if you keep a prayer journal, and that's one of the, I hope, one of the resolutions you make. If you would keep a prayer journal and write down all your prayer requests, and then you write down when God answers them, you might be surprised to find out how active he is in your life. Your prayers may not get answered the way you want, but indeed you're going to discover they get answered. So I hope a new resolution we can all make, and I'm going back to this again after being off it for several months, to list all your prayers for yourself, but also that you have for others. Carry that list with you throughout the day. Review it regularly. Pray when those issues come to your mind, when the Holy Spirit brings them to the forefront of your mind. And then write down when and exactly how your prayers are answered. And you'll be surprised at how active God is working in your life, perhaps in ways you never even noticed before. So the second exhortation to be prayerful, pray always. And the third exhortation, give thanks in all circumstances. The third exhortation is to be thankful, to have an attitude of gratitude always. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, 
please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including Pat's books, additional articles, and audio. Be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.